welcome to the Learning Can't Wait podcast, an iTutor production. At iTutor, our vision is to ensure every child has access to education, regardless of circumstance. Each episode, we will be joined by pathfinders within and around the education space who are bringing about transformational change on behalf of deserving students. I am your host, Haley Spierbauer. I think now is as good a time as any to go ahead and get started. So my name is Mike Martin. I'm here to kind of help facilitate everything. I'll be keeping an eye on chat and answering any questions you may have and keeping time. But most importantly, I'm here to introduce Haley Spierbauer, who is the Chief Academic Officer at iTutor who's going to talk a little bit about making education technology more accessible to all. So with that, I will turn it over to Haley. Thank you so much. It is so great to be here today. I am, I've had a really fantastic week here at EdTech Week with Started and many of you both in person and virtually. And I've been really looking forward to Thursday. I was a little bit wary when I heard it was on Thursday because conferences can be so invigorating and inspiring and passion inducing and also so exhausting. Uh, and this was no different. Uh, having the chance to meet so many people, learn about so many products being built in the markets space and get to, you know, rub elbows with so many incredible minds looking to make a difference for children has been one of the best experiences that I've had uh, and incredibly inspiring. So today I was eager to talk about this particular topic for a host of reasons you'll hear momentarily. The question I hope to answer by the end of this conversation is EdTech making learning accessible for all. So who am I <laughs> and why am I qualified to talk about this topic? My name is Haley Spearbauer. As you heard just a moment ago, I am an educator first and foremost. I began my career nearly two decades ago teaching in first and second grade in the South Bronx of New York and continued it where I was a teacher, a school administrator, a school founder at a charter school in Harlem where I spent another decade of my career those, those years of my life in a brick-and-mortar setting, working with kids and working with teachers, as you know, also were exhilarating and exhausting. But it is a really foundational part of who I am today and how I view education and why I prioritize things like conversations around making learning accessible for all. Another reason I do that is because I've been in ed tech for five years. I work at an online education company called itutor.com. We work with 300 schools around the United States making sure that state-certified teachers and subject matter experts are available to schools to help solve pain points. I've been working with brilliant individuals at this organization for the past five years, building out teams for teacher recruitment and for teacher support, for barriers around how we instruct students in an online setting to make sure that learning is engaging and, keyword here again, accessible. And I've had a really a good fortune of being able to see how growth and expansion and working with a school partner really develops a product really formatively. And I'll talk about that in a little bit as well. And finally, last but certainly not least, I identify as a person with disabilities. For 28 years, I have had one of one or many diagnoses, including chronic illness like lupus and Sjogren's and arthritis. And these have fundamentally changed how I am as both a student and an educator. And so, as I mentioned at the very get, this topic is near and dear to my heart and one that I think can really make a difference in how each of us, whether we be ed tech product creators, school administrators, teachers, people education adjacent, think about teaching, learning, and building tools for students. Now, 
to understand if EdTech is making learning accessible, we first need to define what we mean by accessibility. A lot of things can be components of accessibility or build towards accessibility, or they themselves need to be accessible. But what we want to do is start at the 10,000 foot definition of accessibility, which is the ability to access and possibly benefit from systems and entities. This could be a device, a service, an environment, and many other things. I want you to think for a moment if this aligns with how you view accessibility, in a moment, I'm gonna talk a little bit more deeply about the nuanced definition of the term, but our goal here today is to talk about getting as much as possible to as many as possible. When we consider accessibility in education or specific to learning, we often consider a few things. Are materials accessible? Is the font size can easily be read or enlarged? Are multiple formats offered such as braille or audio versions of information? There's been more discussion regarding how technologies are designed in a way that are universally accessible. And last, but certainly not least, there's been a lot of discussion lately around digital equity or just being able to access and benefit from these technologies. With the recent expansion in online learning and the use of ed tech tools, we've highlighted a concern around digital equity, rightfully so. Students have inequitable access to internet, devices, software, making it challenging for some students to simply access the tools being used. Now, beyond materials, formats, or technology, or in access to certain technology, in this case, equity, if they're simply accessible, we have to ask ourselves, for whom are they accessible to, under what conditions, and for which tasks? So knowing that accessibility is an all-encompassing term representing many components and knowing that things may be accessible to some students, but not others, or under certain situations, but not others, we quickly see how considerations of accessibility become incredibly complex. And when I say incredibly complex, I mean mind-numbingly difficult to wrap your head around. So if our question is, is EdTech making learning accessible for all, we need to consider many components of accessibility and diverse student populations that we're trying to make to make learning accessible for. So really, the big question is, is EdTech making learning accessible for all types of learners? I'm focusing specifically in this conversation on students with disabilities. As I mentioned before, it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I think that it's one that has become increasingly more apparent as an important topic for developers to think about and, and design thinkers to consider as they build tools. And my 10,000 foot answer to this question is yes. And we're gonna need to take some time to explore individually both the yes and the and part of this answer. Often answers to massive questions like this come with the answer of yes, but, or it depends on. <laughs> but when we think of EdTech accessibility, it's easy to say, yeah, things are becoming more accessible, but, and there's an assumption that it's an either or. If we gain one thing, we have to sacrifice something else. For example, Utilizing more ed tech tools may look like a decrease in digital equity, but in reality, we know that one did not lead to the other. It was not a causational relationship, but rather it highlighted an existing issue. 
Similarly, over the pandemic especially, we saw the expanse of virtual learning opportunities for learners. But we saw it in tandem with a reduction in the ability to provide individualized education plans or IEP services. We know students struggled during the pandemic, and we know that students with disabilities really struggled during the pandemic. So if I'm saying the largest expansion of ed tech tools in history and that during that expansion, the students, the exact populations we're discussing struggled, how can I answer this question with a yes? This is where I want to reframe thinking about this topic. It's not an either or statement and there's not always a but. Rather, I want the thinking to be yes and this is an amazing step forward and here is what else we can do. So let's take a look and explore the yes part of this conversation, starting with our research. We know that tech, ed tech and assistive technology can be pro-social, pro-academic, beneficial for students with disabilities. There's an abundance of research that we can lean on that tells us there are benefits to introducing these types of tools and technologies for students diagnosed with a disability. We also know that educators view ed tech positively. I think adoption alone could tell us that to be true from an anecdotal viewpoint, but we know the research concludes that as well. And we also know that teachers want more training in how to use the ed tech tools effectively, how to implement them with fidelity. We also are aware that students with disabilities sometimes prefer virtual learning to in-person learning. Now you can notice that this study that I'm sharing here is prior to the pandemic. I know there's a lot of media attention on students with disabilities during the pandemic. I'll talk about that in a moment as well. But we did get some anecdotal evidence similarly during the pandemic that students with disabilities in many cases preferred virtual learning. And finally, as part of my yes, we know that there are strategies that are easier to utilize in a virtual environment for students with disabilities, such as having larger class sizes, flexibility in course scheduling, lesson pacing, breaks, and immediate instructional feedback. Now, these four examples and research that accompany them are, are really just scratching the surface in the ways that EdTech has been supportive to students with disabilities and their educators. Numerous data tools, curriculum, and intervention have all allowed for more time in teacher schedules, which is a good thing, and an increased ability to individualize instruction for learners. And we know a few other things. First, we know that if teachers and school administrators and education professionals using these tools don't know how to use them properly, they don't have the right training and support, it actually can interfere with or hinder use and adoption, thus not achieving optimal outcomes, not giving the instructional and intervention benefits intended from the tool that's being created. We also know that teachers have a challenge ahead of them. There are a lot of tools available. It is challenging and difficult for them to find the exact right tools, use them, integrate them, make sure that they are cohesive with the curriculum that they're implementing in their classroom, and not just an add-on that stands alone and doesn't serve to benefit or enhance their instruction in a meaningful way. We also know that these tools can sometimes provide challenges to 
the students' IEP goals, making it difficult to implement the IEP goals despite the accommodations that the student may need with the EdTech tool as it is, as it is simply addressing them. And finally, we know that despite these tools having a sometimes having accommodations, students with disabilities performance still lags behind their peers. So lots of challenges to ed tech being a perfect solution for all types of learners. Let's look specifically at this lag for students with disabilities. In 2017, we had clear NAEP data that across time, students with disabilities with accommodations in place for the very first time still performed significantly lower than their peers without disabilities. This graph is from fourth grade math performance, and we can see in this area, while most students without disabilities are approaching proficiency, students with disabilities are performing significantly lower and at a basic level. This trend continues in the most recent data from 2000 and 2022 as well, where we saw a decline for the first time ever and stagnation in both math and ELA. And these, these trends are pretty alarming. We know that there are a lot of reasons and contributing factors to causing this, but this is data that tells us even with accommodations, students are not meeting their peers academically in the classroom on assessments. So these are some big ands. How can we remedy these and what do these mean for our work in the area moving forward? When I think of the yes and all the great things EdTech is doing along with the and and all the challenges we've identified, I keep coming back to one thesis and it's not new. You've probably heard it before. It's used very often in, field, in the field of disability, but it bears repeating. This thesis is that one size does not fit all. So yes, EdTech can make learning more accessible for all types of learners. And there are other things we can do to mitigate these challenges. We've passed a question of if and onto how. Yeah, it can work. What are the considerations we have to do to make it work better? How do we utilize EdTech in a way that truly makes learning accessible for all? There are many obvious considerations. But I think that there are two big buckets in the research and the expansive ed tech and the research supporting students with, with disabilities that they've highlighted that I'd like to share, share and focus a little bit more on for the rest of this discussion. First, we have to recognize that there is diversity and intersectionality in disability. Hence the term one size does not fit all. There is no all. And second, we need to be mindful and consider implementation of ed tech tools at the front end of the process, not once the tool is in a school building. So first, recognizing diversity and disability. Let's explore what it means to do this. Well, under IDEA, there are 13 eligibility categories. You may be thinking of some of your students that you've taught in the past or are currently teaching or family members, loved ones that have any of these particular disabilities that are identified here. And you may notice that these categories in many cases are quite broad. There are multiple disabilities under one particular header, like other health impairment. There may be multiple diagnoses under that particular category. So just within IDEA and the school setting, the disabilities we are serving and the associated accommodations are vast and varying. And within school districts, students with disabilities make up over a third of the population, 34%. So we know that there's a need to provide varying accommodations for many learners. 
Now, for some of the disabilities on this list, accommodations and assistive technology or the ed tech required can be more straightforward. For students with a visual impairment, for example, in large text or an e-reader, a seat toward the front of the class, more time to complete assignments and assessments may be enough for them to appropriately access the general education curriculum. Needs such as these, ensuring materials and formats are successful and accessible, is where EdTech has done really well. Many EdTech companies align themselves to ensure that they are compliant with the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, or WCAG. And as we can see, these guidelines are many, ranging from captions to page orientations to minimum contrast to keyboard functions and many more. And all of these just make a web page or media accessible and usable by different users. But given the diversity in disability, very often accommodations are needed depending on the disability. And some accommodations go much beyond just physically being able to access material or format. So even if we focus on one disability, other health impairment, we can see a wide range of accommodations needed to support just this one eligibility category. I'm going to use a little bit of a case study here to talk through these examples. So these adorable children on the screen are not just any children, um, but they happen to be children who required accommodation to access the general education curriculum. These children also happen to be me and my brother. <laughs> So this was the only approved picture that got through to this presentation. Uh, it took a, took a couple that we went through for my, my family's home that he and I both agreed on would be great to share our stories. When we look at my brother and me on paper, my brother and I on paper, we might look similar to each other as students with another health impairment. But in fact, uh, we're quite different. So I actually have, as I mentioned before, a variety of chronic illnesses that began when I was age 10. I had a 504 that was created based on my medical diagnosis, performance on assessments, and teacher reports. Whereas my brother had an individualized education plan, uh, performance on assessments and teacher reports indicated that he had a fine motor coordinational dif difficulty. So what did this look like in reality? For me, I was ill quite, quite often on and off throughout my childhood, and some of the accommodations I needed as written into my 504 were things like um, when I did drive to school, eventually I had a parking spot that was as physically close to the school building as possible. I had an adjusted schedule to account for when I was feeling ill or required extra sleep. The two most important factors for me in my illness were that I need sleep, lots of it, and I need to keep my stress low. And so on that last point as on stress, physical stress was just as bad for me as mental stress. And so I needed two sets of textbooks to carry my materials to school every day. Now, what would have been really great, I had a textbook at home and a textbook at school, but at the time, EdTech had not yet developed digital textbooks. It would have made a world of a difference for me for a variety of reasons. One, we wouldn't have had to waste paper in printing textbooks that I kept home in school. And the school wouldn't have had to spend more money on having a textbook at home in school for me, cost reduction for my school. But importantly for me as a learner, having a digital textbook would have allowed me to annotate material in one spot and have that, that material whether I was at home or school. 
you may be thinking of an ed tech tool that makes that possible today. When I was younger, I had to take pictures of with a camera or remember my notes or take double notes in the classroom or at home and transfer that content into school so that I could access the material in the same way as my peers given my accommodation and needs. For my brother, I mentioned he had a fine motor coordinational difficulty. His IEP allotted for things like occupational therapy. He really hated the work on vestibular input. I have a fond, not so fond, kind of sad memory of him really disliking those things that children sit on and get spun on to give them the vestibular input that helps them orient themselves. But really what was special about my brother and his disability and how he accounted for it and accommodated for it was that my brother received access to a one-to-one -one device, a laptop, before any other human in his school building had one, before it was common for teachers or students to use devices as they do today, where he could, instead of having to write notes and material, type those notes and material and have it written in a format that was easy for him and allowed him to access the general education content easily. Today, we know that students are using one-to-one devices all the time, and they're using those one-to-one -one devices to learn in class, have materials recorded, learn from them at home. If my brother and I had these, without these accommodations, we would not have been able to be in the classroom. For me, in many cases, it would have been helpful to have recorded classes as many classes are today. For my brother, even the advance of technology that allows for writing directly on a PowerPoint would have been very successful for him, not having to regurgitate all the information in the notes himself. Tools have advanced significantly since then. And yet, my brother and I were very successful in school. We went to great universities, performed well with our accommodations at those universities because of the accommodations we had at that time. And we probably would have done even better had the ed tech tools that exist today existed then. You'll notice again, just going back to this major point of why I'm making my brother and I the case study here, we have the same categorization, other health impairment, very different manifestations of our disability and very diff different accommodations implemented to assist us. So even though we had the OHI categorization and many other students could have this eligibility category, our needs are not perfectly aligned with our disability level, label, excuse me. Rather, we're gradients of this and dis other disabilities. We have co-occurring disabilities and our needs are very multifaceted. Given that the manifestations of disability are so varied, we know that we can't create one tool for every child or every disability. So we have come to the table understanding that not every tool will work with every child and that every specific disability has to be thought, we have to be thoughtful about what's going to work and for whom. A large part of this is ensuring that ed tech tools are considering the end user. This is a major nod to Christina Ishmael yesterday, our deputy of the office of ed tech, our deputy director of the office of ed tech, who shared ed tech creators, please consider the end user. The end user is the most important stakeholder to consider as you build tools. And considering this multifaceted learner, we need to consider and be mindful of that end user and not just the disability label. Knowing that students with disability are one third of our student body, this is not an option, but a necessity. So part of how we utilize ed tech is to realize this dream of making learning accessible to all. Meaning we consider students with disabilities and individualization at the forefront rather than as an afterthought. What's even better about this is that there are proven strategies we know work really well for both students with disabilities and without disabilities. So ensuring these are embedded in the design of the tool 
and not an add-on means we can strengthen the effectiveness of the tool for all students. I'm reminded of one of the sessions that I was mentoring this week. Um, two individuals from the Netherlands created a tool called Tover that is intended to support students with autism in uh, various settings. And the tool was, again, designed for that specific population in mind, intending to target skills such as cooperation, social and emotional learning, object matching, tool identification, collaboration. Now, I'm going to stop for a second, and I want to just ask, as you can all sit here and you're listening to me share, for you to think of a student you've taught, you're teaching now, or a student that you know uh, yourself or maybe a loved one again, who would have benefited from practicing that skill? Because when we create tools for students with disabilities, those needs also benefit the general education population as well. The other piece of this is data interoperability. Recognizing that diversity and intersectionality and acknowledging that one size does not fit all, we will likely need multiple tools for varied reasons. And so it's important that these tools work in tandem. They speak to one another. They allow that data can be aggregated across sources so that instead of piecemeal information, we have a complete and cohesive picture of student performance. This data integrity piece and the data cross-collaboration piece is huge when talking about both students with disabilities and students without disabilities as well. So exactly how do we use ed tech tools in a way that adequately supports and recognizes this diversity in disability? A big component of this is considering implementation. Moving beyond the efficacy or effectiveness of a tool and consider what it looks like when implementing it. What are the barriers to use? Will it work well under these conditions or under a, with particular populations or will it not? Unfortunately, this is something overlooked often in the ed tech industry. Recently, we had a rapid expansion without much consideration for implementation. When we look at the number of ed tech tools educators were expected to use across one year, we see that on average, one educator used 148 unique tools across the school year. So again, let's flash back to my brother and me. We had no tools at our disposal. My brother was using the advent of the first one-to-one -one device. Our teachers were responsible for exactly zero or very, very few ed tech tools at that time, however many years ago. And now teachers have 148 tech tools that they're expected to use in a year. And this is not shocking when we consider the recent expansion of ed tech tools. Since 2018, the number of ed tech tools in a district has nearly tripled in one month. This rapid expansion came at the cost of solid research to vet these tools, frameworks for their use, and adequate training for their implementation. I don't know about you, but as a former school administrator, thinking about numbers as large as these feels incredibly overwhelming. I have a lot of empathy for the technology specialists at the schools that had the tools, even on the upper end of this, as we can assume these are averages, um, over 2,000 tools in some districts. Having to learn these tools and implement them can provide a very significant challenge. So how do we, how do we ensure that implementation is at the forefront then? Well, a first big step is in the, instead of developing more tools, 
we develop fewer, better tools that solve multiple pain points rather than relying on creating a unique solution for every unique struggle that a district faces. It should be part of EdTech's responsibility to cull tools for educators. I'm going to say that again. It should be part of EdTech's responsibility to cull tools for educators. That's a pretty big shift from what the media is reporting that schools are saying. This, this responsibility should not land solely on the shoulders of already overburdened educators and school and district administrators, but instead on the creators of these tools. Part of developing better tools means incorporating research into the development process as well and ensuring that research moves beyond efficacy to implementation. How do we know it works in real time, in a real world setting, with different populations, under unique conditions? This is not a one and done, check a box, but rather an iterative process that helps to further inform development and better existing tools. This too was a conversation I had over and over again with the different mentees I spoke to at the beginning of EdTech Week really considering to how to involve research from the start and continually refine it as you gather data and assess that data to ensure that you know all of these components end user implementation data interoperability all of those are at the forefront of the process as you build the tool implementation also needs to be a consideration from the school's perspective and much of the breakdown here is a lack of a framework for how to implement into the broader school context. <clears throat> Determining what district and school-wide tools are utilized, which training is offered on each of these tools, and what other tools can be used at the class level and how they align to district-wide curriculum is a tall order. Beyond that, teachers need to consider how these fit in the school day and which students will use what tools. To do this successfully, teachers require more training around the use of ed tech tools and how to effectively integrate them into their classroom. Going back to that data point earlier, which shared that teachers want exactly that. While ed tech tools have been created to ease teacher burden, which is important, make teachers' lives easier, which is vital, they are not meant to replace the educator. There is no replacing the educator but rather to work in tandem with them. So much of this training needs to be on how to select and utilize the tools effectively to ensure that we support and we support and not supplant the teacher. Teachers are vital for the ecosystem of education. There will be no replacing them. EdTech has to work in parallel and in conjunction with that rather than stand alone. Ensuring that a district is set up to use these tools and has the frameworks and systems and the training and especially the funds in place to successfully use these tools is critical to adoption and effectiveness. Now, you've heard a lot from me on this particular topic, and I think it would be great for you to hear from someone else that is an absolute expert and icon in this field. This is Dr. Amelia Malone. She is the Director of Research and Innovation at the National Center for Learning Disabilities. And she was generous enough to lend her time for a brief interview embedded here that shares her perspective and the perspective of the NCLD on what is most impactful in ed tech for students with disabilities. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Amelia Malone. 
the Director of Research and Innovation for the National Center of Learning Disabilities. It is so good to see you again. So good to see you, Haley. So in talking about students with disabilities and ed tech, you know, I'm sure, that tools are being implemented in increasing rates across schools throughout the country and even the world for all types of learners. So I'm wondering, what is your immediate reaction when considering some of our most vulnerable learners, students with disabilities? Yeah, absolutely. So when we're thinking about in integrating ed tech tools for students with disabilities, we need to be really careful at the what and considering the what and the how. So when considering the students with the most intensive learning needs, for example, students with learning disabilities, let's just take that as an example, we know that they oftentimes need extremely intensive intervention, which means that we're going to progress monitor our students, we're going to collect data to see if they're responding to our instruction, and we're going to make changes to our instruction in order to meet their needs. When we're simply implementing ed tech tools sort of willy-nilly without integrating those supports into our progress monitoring tools and our systems of support, we're doing our students a disservice. We need to be really mindful in taking this parallel path of collecting data, integrating our instructional supports, and individualizing as we go. Ed tech is not a, um, it does not replace teacher instruction. And we need to ensure that EdTech gives all of the opportunities to respond for our students, really focuses and hones in on where their gaps in learning are, um, and really target their areas of weaknesses across academic and behavioral content areas. The key points that I'm picking up from what you're sharing here are around our thesis today, which is one size does not fit all, and that we have to be really considerate of both the learner and the data, their performance data on different types of learning assessments in order to really target the need that they have. And secondarily, this notion that tools do not replace teacher. Um, there's a there's a complementary ecosystem in which the tool works collaboratively with the teacher and the teacher works collaboratively with the tool and whatever data comes from it to really bring forward the learner and, and advance their academic uh, their academic needs. One of the major critiques of EdTech is that it doesn't have enough research to support its efficacy. Talk to all of us about how, what the direction is that EdTech needs to go in next in order to meet the demands of the research community in or, and also the needs of our students to ensure that everything we're doing is actually backed by science. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, we have opportunity to grow at an infer like kind of an infinite rate. You know, the research and development process within ed tech is so quick. I think that we just need to do a little bit better job of aligning what we know about the science of learning, for example, the science of reading, and what we know about um, best practices for students with disabilities. A lot of ed tech tools out there are not evidence-based. They have not been validated by large-scale randomized controlled trials with, um, you know, high-quality research design studies. But that's not to say that they're not valid. We just need to do a better job at vetting these um, programs to ensure that they do work for students with disabilities. That includes if we are doing a research study on um, particular um, programs or platforms, that we ensure that we include students with disabilities. We disaggregate data um, by disability status so that we can better understand if these programs and platforms are working for, if they're working and 
who they're working for and under what conditions. I also wanna talk a little bit about this idea of intensification of instruction. And when we think about intensifying instruction for our neediest learners, so we kind of you know expect about 90 to 95% of our learners to adequately respond to the general education classroom or the tier one instruction, whereas you know five to 10% um, need this really intensive or what we often call as tier three instruction and there's things that we can do to intensify instruction for example increase dosage increase the strength of the instruction or intervention and there's sort of this push and pull of changing qualitative features of instruction like changing how we approach instruction changing how students um, respond how we do an error analysis how teachers respond and then there's this idea of quantitatively changing how we approach instruction. So changing dosage or the amount of time, for example, that students are engaging with content. That's really easy and efficient to do with an EdTech tool. If we have an evidence-based platform that focus on, focuses on, for example, increasing students' phonemic awareness or phonics or phonological processing, and we can put them on that, that platform for a period of time and measure their growth and integrate those data into what we are already doing in small groups with that intensive intervention or instruction, we can kind of capitalize on those efficiencies and enable our students to respond quickly, respond a lot of times, get corrective feedback, and hopefully integrate that into what we're doing in the classroom to scale growth at a quicker rate. So we need more data, we need better data, and we need the right type of instruction to ensure that coupled with the collection of this data on individual students to ensure that the intensification of instruction is actually impactful. Absolutely. And we need um, data across all variables incorporated within these tech tools or instructional platforms so that teachers can be really mindful um, about how they're integrating that into what they're already doing in their classroom. It's a tall order to consider all these different variables that you're naming, and yet the goal hopefully will be that the tools exist today or are currently being built by people watching this very discussion to make this easier for teachers and learners so we can have the optimal outcomes with the research backing to ensure that everybody has the tools and the interventions they need to be successful. Well, I was going to say I would argue that building platforms that serve students with disabilities will really improve performance for all students. So maybe that's our call to action today is is we need more research we need to find solutions that are individualized for each learner and we need better tools that are specifically for students with disabilities so i think that's a great takeaway from our discussion dr amelia malone thank you so much for being with me here yeah absolutely thanks for having me Haley. So a lot of points echoed from the previous parts of this conversation. Obviously, Dr. Amelia Malone, so generous with her time, as I said before, um, the work at NCLD is really profound. It does qualify a lot of what we're discussing today of what matters. And in the content, uh, context of ed tech, Dr. Malone provided a lot of direction for us. Consider the learner, build the data into it, do the research all along, you need to make sure that the intensification of the learning, which can happen very often in an ed tech tool, complements the classroom learning, supporting the teacher, 
teachers being vital to the process. These are all really important takeaways that that I really gathered from our conversation. And you could see much of it incorporated here as this this is really where I believe, and I think you know, Dr. Amelia Malone believes the direction of ed tech needs to go to continue to be a yes and versus a yes but. So where do we go from here, right? Summarizing all of this, bringing us back to our overarching massive question, is EdTech making learning accessible for all types of learners? Through this discussion, we've identified something critical. When we examine EdTech as components, education and technology, we see this rapid expansion of technology that coincides with the slow and challenging growth that happens in education. So while we are both growing and advancing, one is happening much faster than the other. So this leads to a massive amount of tools being used that schools are not potentially not ready to implement. So how do we get there? To summarize, we've learned we need education to be thoughtful and considerate in the tools that it selects to implement in its district, ensuring that they're appropriate for all types of learners, including learners with disabilities, to use frameworks to assess these tools. We have frameworks coming from the WCAG, as I mentioned earlier, for types of accommodations. We also have frameworks provided by organizations like ISTE, which allow for us to vet tools when we're wanting to implement them in our schools. And we need more training. Teachers want the training. We know they need the training. There's an inundation of tools today. And so schools can really support that and education can really support that by making sure that training is available. And we need technology to develop tools with end user in mind, specifically students with disabilities. We need the technology community to consider data interoperability to offer more collaborative systems that offer a comprehensive view of student performance. We need them to be part of the work to cull the tools, limit the rapid expansion, and instead devote time to developing better tools and do this through research. Ensuring research is a part of our developmental process and an iterative cycle. So in the end, what I'm going to ask of you, the various stakeholders listening in today in this realm of ed tech, is a big question. We know, yes, ed tech can make learning accessible for all. And what is one thing you can do in your position to ensure that this school year, ed tech tools are really making learning accessible for all users? That's my call to action, and I hope the call to action for everybody listening in today. Awesome. Thank you so much, Haley. We've got a few minutes, and there's been a lot of activity in the chat of people networking, like a bunch of like-minded people networking, which is great. And so we'll just open it up to see if there's any questions that anybody on this session has. Go free and raise your hand or drop it in the chat, whatever is easiest for you. And Haley, you mentioned kind of in the green room before everything that you have, you have a podcast as well. Do you want to uh, give that a quick plug for everybody here? Yeah, of course. I have a podcast where I, it's called Learning Can't Wait. I interview change makers in and around education, folks that are in the ed tech space. The host of month of the first happy hour for this ed tech week, the CEO of Noodle John Katzman was one of my guests, as well as school leaders, teachers, people creating all sorts of change for students all throughout the fields. It can be found on iTutor's website along the bottom. It can also be found on various streaming platforms like Spotify and Apple. Again, Learning Can't Wait podcast. Awesome. 
not seeing any raised hands or any questions. So unless somebody jumps in, then we can. Oh, I'd oh, love to ask a question, actually, if I may. <clears throat> yeah, please go right ahead. Hi, Ailey. Thanks Hi. for the talk. It was really great. Thank you, Allie. I have a question. Uh, I'm a product person by trade, and often in product development, when you're in a product's infancy, you're asked to sort of narrow your focus at the outset, and that could be narrowing a target audience in order to get something out and meet a very critical and well-defined need. But when you're creating products in an educational environment, that really like hits barriers, right? For all of the reasons that you talked about where you are creating a product for one type of kid, let's say, but is being used by 30 kids in the classroom. And so I'm curious, like thinking about um, like a traditional product development cycle and the choices that we need to make in order to like graduate a product, you know, out of the lab and into the market. Do you have any recommendations on like the sort of um, like who we prioritize when we are like in that early stage of product development? I think part of that has to depend on what exists currently in the space, like a thorough analysis, competitor analysis of this, of other tools in that category, what niche they're filling, what considerations have already been accounted for and, or what complements could be built that, uh, that further, kind of complement the existing marketplace. As we said, what we don't need is the same tool over and over again. I understand that's how competition works. We live in a society that's built on the back of that kind of competitive um, landscape. And that's how things are in a, in a in our society. And that's how we find out what the best is. But some of what we need to do now is really focus on what's lapse, what's missing. When we look at what happened during the pandemic, there were lots of tools being implemented as, in schools that parents were talking about, students were talking about, teachers were talking about. They were saying, yes, it helps us see each other and be together. And it's not doing X or I can't integrate that, you know, it's so often the question of integration and having the tools speak to one another. And I think that that's really powerful. So what I, what I, when giving you as an answer is kind of a non-answer, but I would say that it really depends on the competitive landscape that exists in the moment that allows for a better analysis of who you're going after and what you're building. Gotcha. Thanks. Thanks for your question, Allie. And it looks like we have uh, another question from Anne who wants to know, what type of technology do you dream of for EdTech? It's a big question. It is. And it's like it's like a heart stopping question, right? Because according to this this um, this presentation, there is no one there. What is no one size fits all. So I don't think we can build something that works for all. But when I dream about what happens and what works for ed tech, I really dream of an accessible solution that allows for all types of learners. So right now, what we're seeing pop up in the space, we see a lot of tools that are linking other one tool to another tool. Uh, I'm thinking about a tool that that really provides uh, an extension for the school district of their own community and their ecosystem. It feels so often to me that tools are standalone and what I think tools really need to be are embedded into the fabric of the curriculum of the school district, embedded into the teacher's daily planning and integration of their classroom facilitation of lessons. I'm speaking vaguely here, but I'm, I'm really trying to highlight that 
We know we have a real crisis in education where teachers and administrators and education professionals are incredibly tired. So everything we need to do right now should focus on how we can support them better, make the demands of the job less taxing, thus making the joy of why we all came to this profession as teachers really at the forefront, which is helping children and moving them forward. So I'm just going to dream big here and say tools that allow for that ease and that relaxation of, of the demand on remembering and signing in and all the other cognitive components that come with integrating ed tech and really allow teachers to focus on the students in front of them. I think we have time for one more question if anybody wants to jump in. If not, then we can go ahead and, and wrap things up. Michael, so. can I say a quick thank you before I, I finish up? Yeah, absolutely. I just want to say a quick thank you, first of all, for all of you for joining today. I was really excited to talk about this topic for the reasons that I named before. I think it's an important one, whether or not you're an educator, a product developer, whatever it may be. I am especially grateful for the started community and this experience of EdTech Week. I have had a phenomenal time and I have met so many brilliant people who have reinvigorated my excitement and passion for the field. And last but certainly not least, I want to thank uh, my colleagues for being making it easy to be in EdTech uh, at this time of forever change. Um, and I especially want to thank Dr. Kelsey Young, my colleague who worked with me to present and create this presentation to make it uh, really impactful and powerful for all of you. Um, it was a pleasure collaborating with her and some other colleagues that uh, really brought this to life. Fantastic. So thank you so much, Haley. Thank you for everybody for joining and uh, everybody enjoy the rest of your day and, and the sessions you attend. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Learning Can't Wait podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Be the first to know when we have a new episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have a suggestion for an episode, email us at podcast at itutor.com. Grow your teaching staff with just one click iTutor partners with state licensed teachers from across the U.S. to help schools provide additional instruction to students. Whether you need them part-time or full-time, our educators are standing by to get you started right away. Head to iTutor.com to learn more.